Welcome back to the 2AM Book Review Club, where we stay up late talking about books or talk about books that made us stay up late. I have very exciting news, which is that with four months still left in the year, I have completed the Storygraph 2023 genre challenge. Very exciting news for me. One, because I'm a completionist and I'm participating in two Storygraph reading challenges this year and I was actually getting a little nervous about finishing both of them on time, but now that I have one of them done and dusted, I feel really good about being able to also finish the other one on time. So very exciting for me in that way, but this is also very exciting for me because completing this challenge definitely helped to push me out of my comfort zone when it comes to books. This challenge really challenged me see what I did there. And overall, I read so many books for this challenge. In fact, 16 of them if you looked at the title. And many of these books were definitely books that I really enjoyed. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so let's back up a minute. The Storygraph Genre Challenge, as the name suggests, is a reading challenge that is hosted by the Storygraph, which is the Goodreads alternative that I use to track my reading. And in this challenge, you are given 10 prompts, and those 10 prompts prompt you to read books in different genres. So during this month, the month of September, we are going to be doing a Storygraph genre challenge mini-series where I tell you about the most interesting or thought-provoking books that I read for this challenge. However, today, to kick this mini-series off, I thought that what I could do is do an overview of the challenge, read through all of the prompts, and then I'm going to tell you all of the books that I read for each prompt, including the books that I'm not going to be talking about for the rest of the mini-series. And what I hope that you will get out of this is I'm kind of hoping that you will also be inspired to do this reading challenge because I had so much fun exploring all of these different subgenres of books. And if you're anything like me, I know that I tend to get a bit stuck in my favorite genres, and so it was really exciting for me to get to read outside of my comfort zone, and I think that that's just like a really good thing in general to read outside of your preferred genres and see what's out there because there are so many books. And even if you don't think that you like a specific genre, it could just be that you haven't come across the right book yet. Now, I do feel the need to clarify that this mini-series is not sponsored in any way, although 
I would definitely be open to that because I have had a lot of fun with the story graph so far. And in the future, I do plan to do more series, mini series, sorry, about different story graph related things because in a lot of ways, it's just a really cool service. In particular, I've been playing around with getting better reading recommendations. I've had a lot of fun looking at the different statistics that they generate for me each month. And in general, if you're looking for a Goodreads alternative, then I would definitely suggest that you check them out. All right, so let's get into the episode. Let's get into the 10 prompts for this year's Storygraph genre challenge. Prompt number one is a contemporary or literary fiction novel with disability representation. Now, for this prompt, I I really, really wanted to read an own voices book because I feel like for disabilities in particular, an own voices book makes for a really powerful reading experience. But unfortunately, I had a lot of trouble finding Own Voices disability books specifically. I did find a couple of lists where they had fictional books about characters with disabilities, but I couldn't find a list of authors with disabilities who have written fiction about their disabilities. So, unfortunately, no no own voices books for this prompt. And honestly, <laughs> that would be a bit of a weird list to compile, so it's fine. But at the end of the day, the books that I ended up reading, I enjoyed them, but they're not own voices books, so I can't personally speak to how well the disabilities in the books that I read were actually represented, if that makes sense. And again, that's totally fine. It's just not really what I wanted. Also, I do have to point out that the only really useful list that I found was focused exclusively on middle grade and YA books. So the three books that I picked off the list to read for this prompt are all middle grade or YA, which again is fine, but it's not really what I set out to do. So the first book that I read off this list was A Curse So Dark and Lonely by Bridget Kemmerer. And as soon as I started reading it, I immediately disqualified it. It wasn't that anyone told me that it was disqualified. I disqualified it on my own because this book is about a girl named Harper who lives in modern-day Washington, D.C., and she has cerebral palsy, so the disability part is covered. But then she gets transported to this fairy tale world in which this Beauty and the Beast retelling is taking place. And so with the fantasy aspect, I felt like it really wasn't in the spirit of the prompt, so I ended up disqualifying this book. Beyond that, Harper doesn't actively deal with her disability in this book. It's more something that she dealt with when she was younger. So again, I just didn't feel like it was in the spirit of the prompt. 
But I will say that if you're looking for a YA fantasy romance that gets pretty silly at times, not gonna lie, and kind of gory at other times, then this could be a fun choice for you because this is a really fun book. There's this fairy tale world and this palace and these handsome boys and it's just it's a lot of fun. I was definitely in the mood at the time for a silly fast-paced fantasy YA adventure so this choice ended up working really well for me even though it didn't end up being part of the reading challenge and I think that if you are in a bit of a reading slump, as I was at the time, then this could be a really good choice for you. So that was A Curse So Dark and Lonely by Bridget Kemmerer. The other two books that I picked off of this list, I did end up using to fill out my disability prompt. So book number one that I read was a middle grade book called Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus by Dusty Bowling. The first middle grade book that I've read in a while, honestly. And then book number two was a YA book called The Memory Book by Laura, no, Lara. The Memory Book by Lara Avery. And I did pick these two books on purpose because I think that they are perfectly representative of the spectrum that exists when it comes to disability fiction. Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus is the story of Avon. Avon is a middle schooler who was born without arms. She's learned to deal with all of the questions that her classmates have had over the years about where the heck her arms went. And since these kids have grown up with her, everyone is more or less understanding because they've always been around her and they, they know her. But then her parents decide to move to Stagecoach Pass, which is a not quite abandoned theme park in Arizona, and Avon finds that the kids at her new school are unfortunately much less understanding. But despite the difficulties that Avon faces, her adoptive parents are so loving and supportive that she has never felt that she is lacking or lesser in any way. And because her parents are just so encouraging, Avon develops into this incorrigibly cheerful girl who is absolutely impossible to bring down in a way that feels very reminiscent of Anne of Green Gables. And I did choose that character specifically because Avon even has the flaming red hair. And while Avon, of course, deals with, you know, not having arms, the book is actually about Avon befriending a boy with Tourette syndrome and another boy who is being ridiculed for his weight. And the three of them work together to solve a mystery. As you may have picked up, this is an infinitely hopeful book regarding disability and discrimination and the endless possibilities that are still open to people who are disadvantaged in some way. 
this is very much a book that is about not so much overcoming your disabilities as learning that you are not lesser in any way for having them. That's just the way you are. On the other hand, the memory book is very much at the other end of the emotional spectrum when it comes to disability fiction. This book follows Sammy. Sammy is a high schooler who is on track to graduate as valedictorian and go to NYU. But then she's diagnosed with Neiman-Pick disease type C, which according to Wikipedia, is colloquially known as childhood Alzheimer's. And yes, this disease is as depressing as it sounds. Neiman Pick Type C is incredibly physically destructive and it's always terminal. But what scares Sammy the most is the idea of forgetting of no longer remembering who she is and what she wants out of life. More than anything, she's always wanted to be able to get out of her small town and go to college and become someone who changes the world. And so she starts her memory book, a document on her laptop where she writes down everything that is important to her so that she can reference it in the future whenever she inevitably starts to forget. The message of this book is that there are some disabilities that you can't fight, some things that you really can't overcome. Some people are just dealt terrible genetics, and even with modern medicine, there's nothing that we can ultimately do about it. And yet, those people are people too. They have hopes and dreams and aspirations. They have people they love and people who love them. And sometimes, like with Sammy, their lives are taken away before they've really had the chance to really experience them. And while that's difficult to read about, I do think that these stories are really, really important because they broaden our horizons, our understanding, our empathy, and they remind those of us who are able-bodied to try to live life to the fullest, for the people who can't. In the end, life is a privilege and an able-bodied life is infinitely privileged when you remember how many people in the world would give anything to have that. Now, I am not saying that either of these are perfect books, although I personally found them to be both emotionally touching. Insignificant events in the life of a cactus, for example, has Tourette's representation that someone close to me with Tourette's finds to be almost offensive, borderline offensive. And the memory book is very, very much a YA book, which I mean in both positive and negative ways. On the positive side, it is very much the mindset of a teenager, and on the negative side, that means that there are times that the book gets a bit silly. There's also a plot development that I saw coming 
a mile away and still didn't like. And also, I can't really speak to the representation of Neiman-Pick disease type C. However, overall, I'm going to reiterate that I think that these books are very touching and I do think that they accomplished what they set out to accomplish and that they are both very enjoyable but different reading experiences. Both of them are very fast-paced, very readable, and they both feature compelling characters and positive messages. They are also both books that will make you think about them for a while after you've read them, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend them. And I say that because I feel like these two books are very much tailored to their respective audiences. Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus, for example, is a really good choice if you want to influence the kids in your life to be more empathetic and respectful, respectful towards people with disabilities, while the memory book, I think, could be a really good choice if you know someone in the YA age range who loves sad stories. But... I do want to reiterate that these books are so specifically written that I would not recommend them to a general audience, even though, again, I did enjoy both of them. Prompt number two is a nonfiction book about startups. So I read two books for this prompt, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou and no Filter, The Inside Story of Instagram by Sarah Freer. Bad Blood is about Theranos, the company run by fraudster Elizabeth Holmes that pretended to have revolutionary blood analysis technology where you could just prick your finger and get a full suite of blood tests run on just those few drops. And No Filter is, of course, the story of the rise of Instagram and the consequences of its acquisition by Facebook. No Filter is a pretty standard nonfiction book that is exactly what it promises on the cover. It's the inside story of how Instagram came to be, the people behind Instagram, and how the company slowly but surely changed following its purchase by Facebook, as pieced together from interviews with insiders. When I say that this is a very standard nonfiction book, I don't mean to say that it's boring because I don't think that at all. I found No Filter to be incredibly interesting and in particular, I really enjoyed reading about how at the beginning of its existence, Instagram had a very cohesive ethos and aesthetic that was primarily focused on allowing people to vicariously experience the lives of others. Essentially, the message was that nobody's life is ordinary, nobody's life is boring, everybody is different enough that you are going to be interesting and unique to someone somewhere. But of course, people are people. <laughs> So problems like bullying and harmful content became rife. And also, more importantly, 
Instagram wasn't making money, which is where Facebook came in. So I learned a lot from this book, particularly as someone who has never used Instagram, and I am glad that I read it, but it is very much a book where if you like nonfiction and you like reading about Instagram, sure, you might like it, but if you primarily read fiction, then it's probably not such a good choice. Bad Blood, on the other hand, is an entirely different kind of nonfiction, and that caught me completely off guard. So this book starts out pretty normally with a reconstructed history of Theranos, similarly to how No Filter reconstructs the rise of Instagram. So the beginning of Bad Blood talks about Elizabeth Holmes's meteoric rise after founding the company, mounting suspicions about whether or not the company actually had this revolutionary technology, and anonymous employees talking about the terrible working conditions. But then, about halfway through the book, guess who shows up? The author. And that was when I realized that this book was written by the reporter who first broke the Theranos story in the Wall Street Journal, and that this book isn't just about Theranos's fraudulent activity, but also the insane lengths that the company went to in order to cover up what they were doing. Literally, the company had its lawyers stalking people and threatening people and yelling at people. And I'm just over here like, how is any of this legal? Is it even legal? Because I sure hope not. So the point I'm trying to make here is that unlike No Filter, Bad Blood really is one of those nonfiction books that appeals to a more general audience because it's very tense and very compelling in a way that I feel nonfiction often is not. But I do know that Bad Blood had a lot of hype when it first came out, so you probably have already read it. But even if you have, I would still recommend reading the newest edition of the book because in that edition, the author has an epilogue where he talks about Elizabeth Holmes' trial and sentencing. So, two very interesting nonfiction books, and I do have to say that I'm grateful to this challenge for getting me back into nonfiction because it is a genre that I enjoy, but it's been a while since I read any. So, this has definitely inspired me to start keeping an eye on new releases in nonfiction as well. Prompt number three is a sapphic romance novel. Now, here's where I have to admit that when I first joined this reading challenge, I scanned through the prompts and filled in as many as I could. And for this prompt, I filled in She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, even though I know that this book is mainly classified as fantasy, but I did truly find it to be a very sweet romance as well, so I stand by my choice. She Who Became the Sun is a fantasy reimagining of the rise of a female Chinese emperor, 
And while it is epic high fantasy, I would be aware going into the book that this isn't necessarily a story where you are going to like the characters. I'll be talking about this book in more detail in a future mini-series where I discuss feminist fantasy books, but for now I'll just say that while I highly enjoyed reading this book and I do hope to read the sequel in the near future, at the same time it is very much a story about power and ambition and how those things can fundamentally change who you are. Prompt number four is a biography about someone you don't know much about. For this prompt, I read Caravaggio, A Life Sacred and Profane by Andrew Graham Dixon. This was such a fascinating biography about the great Italian painter Caravaggio, but even though I'm so excited to talk about it, I'm not going to do it here because I will be talking about this book extensively in an upcoming episode of this mini-series. For now, I'll just say that this is one of the most comprehensive and well-executed biographies that I have read in a very long time because as is true of most biographies I really enjoy, this isn't just about Caravaggio. This is also a comprehensive portrait of the world that he lived in, which is so helpful in understanding who he is and also in immersing yourself in the world that he lived in. If you're looking for an incredibly well-done biography, this is definitely up there on my list of recommendations. Prompt number five is a children's book that you never read as a kid. I actually read The Giver right before I started this challenge. Well, right before I signed up for the challenge. So that seemed to be the natural answer. Now, I had seen the movie a couple years back and that is really unusual for me since I almost always read the book first. But... I watched the movie beforehand and like always, I really, really regretted it. I thought the movie was fine. I know that apparently it got terrible reviews and I don't hate it. I really don't. I thought it was fine. And you know, I'm not that picky about movies in general, but at the same time, the book is clearly so superior and so tightly written and the ideas are so perfectly articulated that I don't really think there could exist a movie that would do it justice. The Giver is one of those books that I would say is not really about the characters so much as it's about the ideas that the author is playing with and the messages that she's trying to convey. This is a book that reminded me a lot of, I'm going to say, A Wrinkle in Time and also Little Fires Everywhere. I say A Wrinkle in Time because The Giver is also very much influenced by the Cold War and criticisms of the Soviet Union and this image that people had of the Soviet Union as like endless block housing where everyone is forced into conformity. And I say little fires everywhere because there is also that exploration of 
planned communities that try to smooth out the harsher edges of reality by enforcing, again, conformity of thought and behavior. But at the same time, The Giver is highly original, and it's also one of those books that, like Animal Farm and My Brilliant Friend and also Comfort Me with Apples by Catherine M. Valente, like those books, The Giver doesn't feel like it could possibly have been written any other way. Every word is carefully thought out, nothing is extraneous, and no matter how many times you read it, you find something new that you missed the first time. It's a book that makes you feel like it must have just been written that way in one sitting, although of course that's not true, and it was just so thought-provoking that I'm really sad that I missed out on it as a child, but I have finally gotten to read it, and I would absolutely recommend picking it up if you also missed out on it. Prompt number six is a popular science book. Now, in finding potential books for this prompt, I discovered that the Smithsonian Magazine actually picks out 10 best popular science books and also 10 best history books each year, which was such an exciting discovery for me because I love both of those categories of nonfiction. I read through the 2022 popular science list and I picked out some exciting possibilities, including two dinosaur books, because as you are probably not surprised to learn, I had a dinosaur obsession when I was about five years old, <laughs> which coincided with my space obsession. So there was a time in my life when I carried around a giant space book and a giant dinosaur book which, looking back, must have been absolutely hilarious because when I tell you I took those books everywhere, I, I am being serious. I even took them with me on flights. Like, on the airplane, I would be sitting there saying, did you know that it's X miles to the sun from the earth? And I'm sure my parents are like, yes, yes, we know. You, you've told us before. <laughs> Fun times. Anyway, so I ended up picking up one of the dinosaur books for this prompt, and that book was The Monster's Bones, The Discovery of T-Rex and How It Shook Our World by David K. Randall. This book will be discussed in an upcoming episode in this mini-series, but for now, I'll just say, if you love dinosaurs, this is a stellar, stellar dinosaur book. But it's not just a dinosaur book, it's also the story of two very different men and how they help to shape not only our understanding of dinosaurs, but also the scientific community in general. As I said, I'll be discussing this book in the future, so for now I'll just reiterate that if you have any interest in dinosaurs or the history of science, definitely check out The Monster's Bones by David K. Randall. Prompt number seven is a fantasy novel written by an author of color. Again, I went ahead and filled this one out the first time I looked through the prompts, 
and I filled it out with The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri, which I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And again, I will be covering that book in my future mini series on feminist fantasy. So I'll just say that if you like high fantasy books about religion and empire and colonization and the complex politics of rebellion, then this is definitely a book that you should check out. I really enjoyed it and I'll add that this book also has a really compelling sapphic romance subplot as well, so definitely check out The Jasmine Throne if you love all of those things. Prompt number eight is a nonfiction history book about an LGBTQIA issue or person. For this prompt, I read two books. One was Kitty Genovese, The Murder, The Bystanders, The Crime That Changed America by Kevin Cook. And the other book I read was All That Heaven Allows, a biography of Rock Hudson by Mark Griffin. Kitty Genovese was a New York City woman who was murdered basically on her front doorstep back in the 1960s. And so this book is much more of a true crime book than anything else. But Kitty was also a lesbian. And so this book does try to focus on her as an individual and as a person, not just as a murder victim. So I would definitely also count this as an LGBTQ book. It's a really sad story, obviously. Like, It is so horrific, particularly when you get towards the end of the book, or I would say like the second half of the book, and you actually get more details on the case. It's just horrific. And at one point they mentioned that one of the people like working on the case or something, I forget, but someone involved with the case back then like threw up. And I completely understand because, like, this was truly horrific. But it is also a very interesting and very important story because the author puts everything into the larger context of the world around these people. And in particular, he fleshed out New York City of that time period and not just what happened to Kitty and about, like, what her life was like while she was alive, but also all of the ramifications of her death, of her murder, and everything that happened because of it. And so this was such a fascinating story, and I will be discussing it later in the miniseries in much more detail. On the other hand, All That Heaven Allows is the biography of Rock Hudson, as the title suggests. Rock Hudson was a Golden Age movie star who was famous for being an incredibly handsome love interest who played opposite to many beautiful actresses. But in reality, he was gay, and Hollywood in America in general was not particularly receptive to gay men, and they were especially not receptive to the idea that this icon of red-blooded American masculinity could possibly be gay. So this was a really interesting story, and I learned a lot about Rock Hudson, who I've always found to be a really interesting figure, but I have lots of thoughts on the actual structure and writing of this biography, And I will be going over that in a future episode because I do really love biographies and reading good biographies gives me a lot of pleasure. 
but when they're not so well done, it, it bothers me a bit. So we'll, we'll be talking about that in the future. Problem number nine is a horror or mystery novel written by a woman or non-binary author. This was a prompt that I had so many options for because most of the mysteries I read are written by women. So I had to pick one and the one I picked was The Plot by Jean Humph Corlitz, which is still one of my favorite mystery thriller thrillers that I have read so far this year. The plot is about a failed writer who steals a plot written by one of his writing students and then the block, the book, and then the book becomes a blockbuster success. But now someone knows what he did and is out to get him. But the only question is who? Because his writing student is dead. This was such a fun book and so well written. Honestly, the writing for me was the thing that propelled me through the book. The beginning in particular is so good. And I highly recommend this book to anyone who likes literary thrillers about, you know, literature. Prompt number 10 is a travel memoir. For this prompt, I read Spirit Run by Noe Alvarez, as well as half of See You in the Piazza by Frances Mays. Spirit Run is the author's memoir of participating in the peace and dignity journeys where indigenous people run across North America to reconnect with the land and heal from the suffering that they and their communities have experienced. It's not an easy journey, as you might imagine. There's never enough in the way of supplies, and not every community is receptive to these runners. Most of all, Noe himself is dealing with all of the inherited trauma that comes from having migrant parents who have really struggled to carve out a place in the United States. See You in the Piazza, on the other hand, is the story of the author traveling leisurely across Italy, exploring beautiful places, eating delicious food, and collecting recipes. As you can imagine, these are two vastly different books, and I will be doing a compare and contrast episode later in this mini-series. All right, so those are all of the StoryGraph genre challenge challenge prompts, and those are all of the books that I read for this challenge. My favorite books that I read specifically because of this challenge and which I would highly recommend to everyone are Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, Caravaggio, A Life Sacred and Profane by Andrew Graham Dixon, The Monster's Bones by David K. Randall, and Spirit Run by Noe Alvarez. Some other books I really enjoyed by which I would recommend for specific audiences are Kitty Genovese, The Murder of the Bystanders, The Crime That Changed America by Kevin Cook, No Filter by Sarah Freer, the Memory Book by Lara Avery, and Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus by Dusty Bowling. I enjoyed these books, but I don't think that everyone is likely to. I definitely think that you are more likely to enjoy them if you're in the target audience. I think Kitty Genovese is also one of those books that is also for a specific audience just because it's so dark. 
Similarly, for No Filter, that book is very much for people who really love nonfiction and are also interested in Instagram and internet culture in general. For the memory book, the target audience is definitely YA readers who like sad books. And then Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus, the target audience there is middle grade readers who are learning about people with disabilities. All right, so that is everything for this episode. Next week, we will be deep diving into some of the books that I read for the Storygraph Genre Challenge. Specifically, we are going to start with a compare and contrast episode between the two biographies that I read, Caravaggio and All That Heaven Allows. The next episode after that, we will be doing a compare and contrast episode between the two travel memoirs, Spirit Run and See You in the Piazza. And then finally, we will be exploring two very different nonfiction books, The Monster's Bones and Kitty Genovese, The Murder, The Bystanders, The Crime That Changed America. And in that episode, I'm going to be talking specifically about the different things that you can get from different nonfiction books and the reasons why we read nonfiction and why nonfiction is so important. So I will meet you all here next week at 2 a.m. to begin our more in-depth journey through my journey (laughs) through the Storygraph genre challenge. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. This has been the 2 a.m. Book Review Club. Thanks so much for joining me. And as I said, I'll be back next week at 2 a.m. Until then, have a great week. Happy book travels, and I hope that you all will also consider participating in this reading challenge.